So hello and welcome to the GCU Law Podcast. My name is Sinead Stevenson-McCabe. I'm a lecturer in law here at GCU and I co-run the podcast with our Law Clinic Media Manager, Issa Mehmood, and Student Director, Lucy Mackay. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Amanda Miller, President of the Law Society of Scotland. As a solicitor, Amanda has committed her legal career to ensuring that the voices of underrepresented people are heard. In her work as a solicitor, she specialised in mental health and incapacity law, representing some of the most vulnerable in our society. She was the first solicitor in Scotland accredited by the Law Society as a specialist in mental health and incapacity in mental disability law. Amanda's time as president of the Law Society has been remarkable in many ways, from dealing with the COVID pandemic to defending the rule of law at a time when it has been under increasing political pressure. Amanda is the first visibly LGBT president of the Law Society of Scotland, and she's used her platform to advocate for LGBT people and their rights. She is incredibly generous with her time, always seeking to support young lawyers, something which I myself have benefited from. And it's our absolute pleasure to have Amanda with us today as part of our Equality in Law project. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thanks. Nice I'm sorry you. if I embarrassed you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, slight blushing, but... Uh... <laughs> it was just, I think it's, it was fascinating actually for me when I was thinking about the year you've had, Amanda. It's been some year, really has been some year to be president um the 2021 yeah yeah um, tough in fairness when i stood for election and, I, and I, i've looked back in relation to kind of manifestos and things like that mission statements i think it's a bit of a stretch political a manifesto uh, but in terms of a mission statement when i when i stood uh, for election um i was talking about uh, advocating for the vulnerable, standing up for the consumer, look, protecting, promoting the rule of law, uh, looking at issues in relation to making sure that the profession was well represented, that it was sustainable, etc. All of those things, that, that was in 2018, all of those things remain true. Yeah. They've just been dealt with perhaps differently than one might have imagined in 2018. Yeah. Um, and while I talked about rule of law in relation to my mission statement, um, I, I don't think I truly believed that I would be standing up and advocating for the preservation of the rule of law in our own country quite as much as I've had to uh, since um, I became president. You know, uh, the the landscape, and I, I don't, I don't. I think it would be difficult to say that it's all associated with with the pandemic, but the landscape is certainly very different, and it's become very different very quickly. Um, mm. And that's why, in a lot of what I say and write, um, I have tried consistently to remind people that all of the rights that we have fought for, the rights that we've obtained. Uh, that actually have been incredibly hard won. They haven't been in place that long and we mustn't be complacent that we think that they are set in stone. And as well as that, there is a, there is a lot more still to do, but we can't take what's been done as done. Yeah. Um, 
if I can put it like that. So yeah. uh, it's, it's a lot to think about. But the opportunities for engagement have been uh, enormous. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's that's been, for me, that, that's been a real uh, pleasure of, of all of this in, in amongst the horror of uh, people losing family members and having to deal with, you know, particular employment challenges and uh, and various other issues. Um, the, the chance for me to have a greater opportunity for engagement with members, with wider elements of society, etc. That that has but that has been great, and to be able to still be at home and walk my dog when I have the time in between, um, is is also a you know a, a, a positive. Um, so we'll go back firstly to the time pre-pandemic um, and we just want to for you to give us an overview of your career journey so far from being a law student to then eventually ending up as the Law Society president. One of, one of the things over the course of this year um, is that I've ended up having to probably reflect on my life more than I ever had before. Um, I think like lots of people, and I suspect particularly people in the UK and maybe even specifically people who uh, live and grow up in Scotland, self-reflection and what one might consider as navel-gazing isn't really um, an automatic strength of mine. Um, I much rather talk about things that I'm passionate about, but here goes. Uh, in terms of my career. When I, I, I was at school, there was an expectation that I was going to go to university. There was always an expectation that brought up with this idea of work hard, get a proper job, you know, go to university, get a proper job, and then it'll all be fine. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful idea, frankly, not overly realistic, I don't think. Uh, in terms of perspective, but different people have different views and, and that's the way life is. So I got good grades at school. While I was at university, I had a couple of challenges. There have been a couple of, there's certainly been at least one article written about this, so I guess I'm a bit more open about it. Um, I was involved in a hit and run um, when I was about to go into my second year at university. So I uh, had interesting experiences that went with that. Um, went straight back to university, didn't take any gaps. Um, and ultimately got my degree, um, got into the diploma, uh, applied for traineeships. Uh, there weren't any. Uh, I, and I can't remember how this came about, even though I was, I've been thinking about it, but I ended up, while I was still at university, I think doing my diploma or doing postgraduate certificate in social welfare law, I got the opportunity to be a tutor on the LLB, on the fast track LLB. So it was Saturday mornings and things like that with people who asked lots of piercing questions. Um, I think particularly so because they were the fast track LLB. They were already, most of them were already degree educated and they were doing the, lots of them, this was second careers, so they had a different type of motivation that comes from um, having to think, well, I'm going to have to fund this as opposed to I've come straight out of school um, and I've just followed my family's expectation uh, uh, for me. Um, so that 
that was a real experience. And then I, while I was also at university, I did the client counselling, um, what, what was the client counselling competition? It's called something different now, I think. Um, I think the competition might be the same, but the class is different um, because looking at uh, client interviews and things like that was new um, when I was at university. It's not new anymore. Um, and I had the uh, great fortune to work with Paul Maharg, who was who did it for us um, at Strathclyde. And uh, my partner and I, we won that competition. It was, it, in some level, looking back, it's slightly artificial, but it, it, it's a really good learning experience. But having worked with Paul, I then got the opportunity to do client counselling training at Cali. And then I got a, a, a lecturer's um, opportunity. So in, in some senses, she needed nice kind of career experiences or have, have, some, have some similarities. Um, so I went into education straight after university, kind of during and then after at university because getting traineeships were, it, it was a bit of a challenge. And I thought, well, want to maintain my legal knowledge, continue to develop all of those kinds of things. Um, and then two traineeships came up at once. I continued to apply. I did apply uh, in relation to uh, academia as well, but actually on reflection, probably wasn't for me, certainly wasn't for me at that time. Um, but two traineeships came up at once. One was for purely convincing, I think, and one was purely court. And I'll leave you to work out which one I chose um, and whether or not uh, long-term conveyancing was really uh, for me. Uh, notwithstanding, actually having done um, honours property and, and a dissertation on crofting law um, when I was at university. So I, so that's how I ended up um, training and that's why I have a belief in the no wrong path um, kind of scenario. I have some experience of it and every everybody's path is different um, and I think it's important that that's acknowledged and permitted because sometimes you know we're, we're in this environment um, where there's an expectation. We all have levels of expectations against us. Some of those expectations come very close to home, some of them come a bit further away um, I, I, and I think there has to be a level of acknowledgement uh, in relation to that. Um, got my traineeship uh, was seeing clients within three days uh, of my traineeship without supervision. Um, some of that might have been down to, down to my personality or it might also have been down to the volume of work that was coming through the office, um, etc. It was a real learning experience. It was, you know, full-blown, pretty much complete civil legal aid, but I was I did bits and pieces of crime. I didn't do lots of crime. We had one uh, colleague where her, her role was predominantly crime. Um, and I ended up specialising in mental health because I got an opportunity when I was a trainee, got a phone call from somebody in a hospital saying, will you come and see me? went had a conversation with my partner say I would quite like to do this but is this okay with you and he said it's fine with me but you're on your own because I don't know anything about this so for me it was an opportunity to learn um, about uh, something new um, something that you didn't learn about at university 
it was very people oriented. Um, I quite like the idea, I think, of working with people. I also quite like the idea of working with people who have um, challenges that mean that they're perhaps overlooked or underrepresented or don't get a chance to have their voices heard. And it's through no fault of their own. Um, at the same time, I was doing lots of matrimonial work, which may have a bearing on why I was interested in uh, sometimes working with other people who, who couldn't control what was happening in their lives. Um, and it, it just went from, went from there. Um, so when I qualified, I moved to another practice. Uh, it was very interesting to see very quickly how, how things could change. That, that practice ceased to exist within nine months of me leaving, and I was only there for nine months. Um, I then had an opportunity to work for a practice closer to home, a big practice with big ambition, etc. Um, and that was an interesting experience also working with partners who'd all just been made partner and were keen to make their way in the world um, and all of that. Trying to get work off them was a nightmare. Um, I have a reasonably strong like variety work ethic. Um, so I found that kind of frustrating because I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really overly motivated in relation to fees, although I understand the need for that. And yes, I need to do the work in order to make the money, in order to justify my salary and all of that, that kind of joined up thought process. So there was that kind of instinctive, I need to be working. But I know there's work in the building. Why won't people just give it to me so I can get it done? Why are they holding on to it? And that that kind of strange and odd mentality. Because um, I'm a believer that life is a is a team sport. Um, and whatever team you happen to be involved in, uh, on, on a given day, you have to do your bit to hold, uh, to, to be able to allow uh, that life to continue to function. Um, then I moved closer, even closer to home, job with a practice uh, in Perth. Um, and then I became a partner uh, in another practice in Perth um, after a former partner asked me if I would go. I said no, and then he asked me again, um, and uh, I did. And I stepped away from practice for a variety of reasons, uh, not directly associated with my involvement with the Law Society because it was fully my intention to continue to practice. So I, but I stepped away from the practice in about uh, December 2019, but that probably would be now. And now I do my work as president of the Law Society. I do other work in relation to diversity and inclusion with other organisations. And I continue to do the, some of the specialist work that I truly enjoyed doing uh, when I was in day-to-day -day practice because I continue to do reports in relation to adults with incapacity matters. I get appointed as curator, I get appointed as child welfare reporter by the court and I get appointed as safeguarder by the court. So it, it gives me the opportunity to express an opinion because as Sinead knows, I'm fairly opinionated, um, but it gives me an opportunity to make proper use of the specialist skills that I've acquired over the years in the interest of, of helping 
uh, other people. So that was a very long I loved that, Amanda. To I, I think it's so important that uh, for students, I think, to hear that path. And it's something I talk about a lot with students is this idea that there is no linear narrative. When you tell the story back, it makes lots of sense, doesn't it? When you tell the story back, it sounds like, oh, of course, that's where Amanda ended up. Of course, Amanda was destined to be doing these amazing, great things. You mentioned briefly that um, a part of your work as president is diversity and inclusion. So we're just wondering how important is that work to you? And as part of that, how what is it like being the first visibly LGBT president? Another big question. Yeah, I, I, I think um, the second question will be easier to answer once some t more time has gone mm -hmm. past. In relation to um, diversity and inclusion, I'm a, I'm a big believer in inclusion um, in, in all things. I'm a believer that the profession needs to reflect the society that it serves, and it doesn't reflect the society that it serves if it looks like all the people that we thought it was going to look like when, when our parents were thinking about having children that might want to study law one day. Yeah. That, that's what makes it important to me. For me, it's just in, incredibly simple. Yes, it's a topic I probably could talk about all afternoon, but it, it is as simple as it needs to be. It needs to reflect the society that it serves, the profession, to be believable, to be credible, to have access to justice, for people to believe that they are comfortable. They need to know that there are people like them who work in that profession. your role as president I know you were talking there about how important it is that we have a profession that reflects our society so that people do feel that they can access justice they don't feel like it's something that's removed from them that they would be judged that they wouldn't be understood um, and I, I wondered how you felt being the first visibly LGBT president did you worry did you have that sense of I mean, if I'm perfectly honest with you, um, until, you know, the last decade, I suppose, um, there wasn't huge LGBT visibility in the profession. It certainly wasn't something um, that a networking organisation existed. Obviously, we now have glass, but but that didn't exist before. We'd never had a visibly LGBT president. And I know you use the word visibly purposefully because we have no idea if we had an LGBT president because they're invisible some of those grey white men on the photographs could... who knows yeah who knows we, we, we don't know we can't ask it reminds me a lot of some of the women in law work that I have done and it makes me feel so frustrated because even with pioneers like Magister Anderson Madge never ultimately married and I suppose even if she did that wouldn't necessarily have, have told us very much but um but how, how do we know we don't know those stories are lost now the questions were never asked <clears throat> And we'll never know. We'll never know the answers for those early um, men and, and women. Did you feel any trepidation going into that role as an LGBT person? Um, did you feel um, a sense of, was it, did it feel like a burden, a responsibility, or was it exciting? Or was it something you just didn't really think about? Um, but, uh, absolutely, I did think about it. Um, uh, Joyce and I had very clear conversations uh, about it before I even considered standing. Um, because um, you know and it was that consideration of well what do you do what do you say mm. um, uh, I've 
I spent a long time getting to the point where I am myself. Lots of people who will say that, who know me from long ago will say I've always been kind of opinionated, uh, potentially outspoken, um, all, of, all of those kind of things. Um, and I think that's probably true, mm. but I think it's probably true in relation to speaking for other people, which comes back to what we were talking about earlier. And there's more history and you may or may not be, rele- this may or may not be relevant, so I'll leave you to think about that and potentially come back to me if you, if you want more information about that. But in terms of, did I think about it? Absolutely, I thought about it. And we had, we have a very, we have a very communicative uh, home life, which always surprises us that other people don't seem to have the same level of communication because you you see stuff on the telly why didn't you just have that conversation you know what how how did do you want mince or chicken for your tea turn into a complete drama now in fairness it's occasionally turned into a drama in our house but you know there is that kind of ask the question just ask the question yeah um so I talked about it Joyce and I talked about it I said it it may become an issue you know because I will be the first openly Mm -hmm. do I say nothing that's probably not going to play very well and it it doesn't it didn't sit well with me um I don't always follow the rationales when you see other people's stories but those are their stories not mine um so I wanted to be sure that she was comfortable with it, with the possibility uh, that there would be increased profile because increased profile to me brings increased profile to um, uh, life generally. You know, more people know my dog than they know me from the number of pictures I've put on Twitter and and all of that, you know, that that kind of analysis. She is a very beautiful dog. Um, She is a very beautiful dog. Um, But... So, yeah, in answer to your question, was there trepidation? I think trepidation is probably a bit strong because by the time I had Joyce's support to stand, we'd already worked through pretty much what was going to be said. Mm. Um, And actually, I maybe thought there would be more pushback than there has been. Yeah. Now, is that me saying that I should go looking for it? No, I'm not not particularly interested in going looking for it. Um, I wonder if it's because people potentially know better. Is it because they keep their opinions to themselves? Is it because they would rather pick on somebody that they don't know that may not come back to them? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And actually. I'm not sure I'm, I'm overly concerned about the answer to that question because the reality is I'm here now I and I very much took the view for all I've talked and, and Lucy's rightly asked me about um, diversity and inclusion and it's been a big uh, thing for me. Um, I am the leader at the moment, the leader of a profession of 12,000 and a bit uh, practicing certificate holders all with different opinions, different beliefs, um, backgrounds, all of those kind of things. So um, they, they are as entitled, to, uh, and this is becoming a theme, they are as entitled to their opinion as I am entitled to mine, but I have an obligation uh, to do what I can to represent them to the best of 
to the best of my ability. Um, I think hopefully legal aid is, is a good example of that. Um, continuing in the challenge with the SLCC is, a, is an example uh, uh, of that. Um, looking at mental well-being is also an example of that. Um, and some of our toing and froing Sinead in relation to gender neutral language is hopefully an example of that as well. You know, um, it's important uh, that all of these things are covered in the interests of everybody, um, not simply the LGBT community, not just the female community, not just the legal community. Um, you know, there are wider societal implications and ultimately it affects all of us. But I am incredibly proud of the work the society has done in relation to kind of role models and, and, and things like that. And um, I think it's important that we try and maintain that, to highlight that, to mean uh, to uh, continue to develop it so that people do really believe that the profession is a place that could be for them. I just hope it's something that can be maintained. The last thing I want is for it to be, yeah. well, we had an LGBT president. Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and I think yeah. that that's that's really important, you know, and yeah, and I have had people come back to me and go, oh, you're banging on about that again. Well, yeah, because actually it's important. It could affect your children. It could affect, you know, it. you might say it's not affecting your life, but you're naive if you think it's not affecting your life. Aye. Because at the end of the day, it's probably affecting your succession planning, if nothing yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, Amanda. I think as well, though, like, to say, or you keep banging on about that, I mean, we've not, we've never, ever had a visibly LGBT president. Yeah. So there's a lot of banging to be done. There's a lot of banging on that drum. To yeah, but equally, the, you know, in fairness, playing, playing devil's advocate, the, there is a lot to be done in, in, in terms of the legal profession uh, in its entirety. Um, yeah. You know, but... I, I, I do think that all of these things are, are interlinked uh, and I've tried to reflect that uh, in my writing um, and in my conversations with people because when people say, you know, our focus needs to be sustainability, it needs to be business business security given the COVID pandemic, well, yes. How, how are you going to achieve sustainability if your mind is not open to a diverse profession? Yeah. Because the people who look like you, sound like you, and have trained like you are also about to retire. So, yeah. you know, they, they are in, they, these things are inextricably linked. Um, and it's oh, about I... engaging that thought process because mm -hmm. things have changed and they will continue to change and new challenges will come. And the legal profession is... is, is well-renowned and rightly renowned for being flexible and able to rise to challenges and various other things. And some people will say that's been part of the issue in relation to legal aid. You know, they keep flexing, they keep doing because they're passionate about it. Um, but there will come a point when the, the you know, the barrel is absolutely empty. Mm -hmm. But it, it's important that to maintain that resilience and that flexibility and that use of skill set, you, ne you need to have diversity, sustainability, um, etc. You have to start to wire it in because the days of, you know, I could sell five houses a week and I would make nice money and I would live in the posh part of town. And those days, for yeah. all of us in this room, those days have never existed. Yeah. 
But the people who who continue yeah. to operate like that, those days are gone. They are gone, and they are not coming back. Mm-hmm. Next one, I suppose, falls on quite nicely, um, and it's what are your hopes for equality in the profession moving forward? I, I have a hope for equality in the profession moving forward. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I have a yeah. hope for equality in the profession moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are we are doing well mm-hmm. as a profession, actually, mm-hmm. in, in relation to it. I think there are a number of challenges. Um, you know, and it, it, it's interesting that um, we've occasionally, uh, and Sinead may recall this, we, in relation to some of the women in law work, effectively two years ago now, when we were actually all able to sit in a room and listen to yeah. one another and, um, you know, the, there were some challenges set in relation to partners in the profession, in relation to the number of women, equity partners, etc. in the profession, those kind of things. I think, I think there are a range of issues around that in terms of, is that the modern way? Is that the way forward? We do have more high profile women at the top of some of the biggest firms in the country. You know, uh, Christine O'Neill, uh, Elaine Motion, um, uh, Amanda Jones, who was a senior mm-hmm. partner at Denton's, now away to be an employment law judge. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are there are still uh, ceilings to be gotten to and through. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in relation to wider diversity, there's there's still a lot to do. Yeah, our last question is, what would your advice be to students to help them be better LGBT allies? For, for, for me, it comes back to actually what being involved in law is really about. It's about being curious. It's about being open. It's about being willing to ask, ask the questions, ask them in a respectful way. You know, Sinead's talking earlier about kind of living and breathing the ethics of the profession um, and elements of that. And I remember years ago, there was a, a council member who said that you're a solicitor 24-7. You know, you're a professional person 24-7. You're expected to behave in a particular way, etc. Um, and I think in these days, particularly of social media, where there's a real opportunity, there's a, there's a real positive opportunity with social media, but there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of toxicity about it. Yeah. People have an opportunity, feel as if they have the right to express an opinion without being willing to be challenged about it. Um, and certainly without being willing to consider being challenged um, in a respectful way. Um, so for me, it's about openness in terms of in terms of allyship. I don't even know if I'm the world's best LGBT plus ally simply because I'm a member of the community doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be the best ally yeah I mean um, you are an excellent ally though Amanda I think we have to put that <laughs> on the record like <laughs> of the modesty but I think like vocally advocating for equality and diversity speaking up on these issues when they raise their head in spaces like the toxic spaces like social media you know, there, there's lots of work being done at the moment in relation to trauma awareness, and it's really important, um, you know, looking at people's histories. And that's why I think a lot of these open conversations are incredibly helpful, because 
you know, we need to get away from this idea that everybody who's holding a particular position had a white middle class background in order to get to there, because the reality is that's just nonsense. Um, or it's becoming increasingly less, increasingly less in terms of nonsense. But it, it, it's important that, that, that we have that acknowledgement. But awareness of your circumstances, awareness of your trauma, the ability to be able to learn from it, the ability to be able to develop, to receive the support mechanisms, to be able to move forward, etc., and then make contributions to society. Everybody gains from that. You know, some of you will have seen me comment on Karen McCluskey's um, article in The Scotsman. You know, it's not just about what it costs in terms of pounds, pounds and five p's. Um, it, it's about what it costs society as a whole. And we have a real opportunity in the legal profession to make society a better place. We do a lot of work to make society a better place. Whether that's working for big business, whether that's working for startups, or whether that's working for Jeannie, who's being abused by her husband, being made to inject him with drugs while she's holding her two-year-old child and she cannot leave. We make positive contributions to society if we can make a difference to those lives and help them move forward. Companies continue to develop, uh, new startups be able to make contributions, employ, employ more people, um, make green energy, whatever your particular motivation is, help abused victims get, uh, 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 abused individuals, I don't like the word victims, um, that's a personal thing for me, um, but help people get out of traumatic, trauma-inducing circumstances and help them move forward and make them the best of, of their skill set and their opportunities so that they're in the middle of their lives. That's a, that's a real privilege. And it's a real opportunity to be able to, to, be able to do that. Some of us have, have been able to do that within the legal profession. You, you two potentially aspire to continue to do that within the legal profession. Sinead, you're looking to, to, to train and teach the, 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 the young minds that, that want to do that or learn a particular skill set so that they can go off and use those skills elsewhere. There are so many opportunities. Yeah, um, I think you're so right, Amanda, that being a lawyer is a privilege. And it's about using that privilege for good. And that can be using it, as you said, to work for, for clients, for our communities. But it's also about recognising that as a lawyer in the profession, you are a privileged person and about opening the door and helping other people into the profession. I think that that's a really important thing to do and something that you you do um, every, um, every time I, I speak to you, I'm always come away with so much to think about. And today's been no different at all. But honestly, it's been it's a privilege to be a lawyer. It's a privilege that we, we need to use for good. And it's been a, a real privilege speaking to you today, someone who, who lives that. Thank you so, so much.